Okay. All right, then. <clears throat> Dave? Ready? Ready. Welcome to another... Ar- <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not as easy not as, as it easy seems. As he makes it look. Welcome to another episode of RC Plane Lab. I'm Dave. I'm Ron. And I'm Tom. See? That wasn't that bad. Good Told job, you. Dave. That was first only time his for second Dave. try. Yeah. He did it uh, like successfully on his second try. And that's we're going to leave impressive. the first one in, too, for grins and giggles. <laughs> I do it to myself. He does it, Dave. That's what he does. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> so, hi, guys. We're going to sit down and talk about some listener questions and answer some stuff and go yeah. over some stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, no guest episode this week. No, nope, we is failed. This normal rotation for guests. Um, we just didn't get them scheduled. Not a big deal. But we have plenty we that we're going to. Yes. We just have to reach out and do it. We just have to reach out and do it. Uh, Which will be in the next couple weeks because we need to. (laughs) Well, you need to. (laughs) Well, we have to set a time where we can do it before we can schedule it. Well, that's true. Pretty much any weekend. I mean, for me, except for, you know, the weekends where I'm working, which is usually the first weekend of the month. Usually. Okay, we'll figure it out. Maybe next. No, it'd have to be. Well, just know that if you want to be a guest, we are still... Going to do the guest episodes. We just have to get them scheduled. And if you want to be a guest, get on our uh, website, rcplanelab.com. Good job. Thank you very much. First time. And uh, click the uh, be a guest form and fill that out and send that to us and we'll get you scheduled. Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Don't rush us. Yeah. We promise we will get them scheduled. And we have some that we still need to contact. And if you've sent one in, you will be contacted by Ron shortly. Don't say shortly. <laughs> Sometime. Sometime well, in the shortly, nearish future. You know, that inter- nearish, yeah, near future. Open to interpretation, right? I guess. Shortly for somebody might be longly for someone else. Shortly <laughs> and longly. That works, right? Anyway. Sure. <laughs> let's move on. All right. Before we get into questions, though, did anybody else receive the email from Horizon Hobby today hmm. about their new RC Nation website? I have not checked my email today, but I it might be in there. Same okay. Here. Well, I got it. Yeah. I was at work about. and I was bored. Can I say that? I was at work, at work and I was bored. I mean, people get bored at work sometimes. It happens. And I saw the email come through. I was like, hmm, what's this? So it's it seems like it's going to be a cross between like Facebook and a forum. Hmm. Like I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work yet. Interesting. But what's it called? It's called the RC Nation. Hmm. And since we're on the flying side, like the airplane side, yeah. it's called Fly RC Nation. And if you're on the car side or whatever else, it's called Drive RC Nation. So at least there's a, a delineation between the two yeah. airplanes and land. Mm-hmm. However, I signed up. Um, I'm not sure really what it is going to be like, but they have a referral code. So since I signed up and if I get people to sign up through me, Kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme, mm-hmm. but apparently there's a, you don't pay anything. Hmm. So I don't know what kind of prizes you can get or what they give out hmm. if you have people sign up through your referral code. But I'm going to go ahead and link that referral code down <laughs> below this episode. And if you're curious, it's 879318 is my referral code. And I'm going to say that again. I'm going to wait for you to get a, a piece of paper and a pen. Did you get one? Good. 879-318. So, like I said, I don't know if that gets me anything, but I'll let you guys know. That is a shameless plea for free stuff. Well, I want to know what it is. <laughs> like, what's the point of having people sign up through, which, they by don't the way. Tell you? They don't no, tell you on really, the website? No, it, it didn't say. It just, it says, just said, like, you can sign up get through stuff somebody maybe get sometime stuff. eventually. Hmm. So, I want to know what that means. So, you guys should sign up through me, too, by the way. Okay. Uh, like I said, sure. I don't know what it means. I want a piece of whatever you get. Just saying. It'll probably be a sticker that <laughs> so I'll give get me a in quarter like of the two years. <laughs> I was going to say, the last time I got an offer, free offer from them, it was for a sticker. You know what? And that reminds me. I After I bought one of my airplanes from them, I think it was the uh, the Night Radiant, had that little card in there, sign up for free hmm. stuff. I never got anything. Hmm. It's been a couple months. Hmm. You should probably talk to somebody about that. I want my sticker. Yeah. Where are you going to stick it? <laughs> I'll tell you where. <laughs> where? Uh, on your airplane. Flight box. Or flight I'm box. I sit on an airplane. Why would you do that? Well, if the airplane came from Horizon. Anyway, listener questions. Yep. Are we ready to get into that or does anybody Let's else have something this. else they want to say? Let's go for it. Let's you guys it. are good. 
So first off, Chad sent us a message through our website. Uh, he said, I've been using Futaba radios for a long time, but I've been thinking about trying out some of the new inexpensive radios that I've been seeing. I know you guys use Spectrum. What keeps you using them? And have you thought about switching to something open source? So I'll go first. Mm -hmm. I fly Spectrum because that's how I started. Like, I know you guys didn't start in Spectrum, but my first airplane came with a DX4, and I progressed from a DX4 to a 5 to a DX6. I skipped the 7, mm -hmm. went to an 8, mm -hmm. which is what I flew with for years. That was like my main yeah. radio. Uh, and then I Up got until the IX12. Recently, yeah. yeah, within mm -hmm. the last year ish mm -hmm. or so. Less than a year, wasn't it? It was this spring. Was it this spring? Yeah, the swap. I couldn't year. remember if it was this spring or last fall. Uh, it was Decatur. Fall. Yeah, it was fall. You're right. So almost a year. I have no reason to switch. Like I am so deep in spectrum stuff. <laughs> it would be stupid expensive to switch on anything else. Like all of my radio gear is spectrum. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard good things about some of these other ones. We actually, mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was. You're going to steal my thunder. No. You're going to totally steal okay. my thunder. <laughs> no, we actually <laughs> talked about trying something different we once. Did. Yeah. Um, so go on, take some thunder time. <laughs> well, yeah. So I've used pretty much all of them. I think Dave has as well. Um, yeah. With yeah. the exception of, I think we were talking a little bit, Jetty and some of the, the higher end Gropner stuff I've never tried. It was really interesting me. If I were to start over. Yeah. Well, what they, what did you start with, by the way? So, so my first radio was a Kraft. Uh, it was a Kraft AM four channel that I started with. Way back when? Way, way, way back when. Okay. Um, but yeah, so Kraft, and then I think the next one that I owned was a Cirrus, uh, which was actually a JR uh, marketing, never heard of marketing thing. Um, and then uh, from there, I think it was Futaba. And then I from there, it was whatever I could find, you know, that worked, that I could afford as a, you know, as a, high school student and then college student, you know, whatever that was. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and just recently, yeah, Spectrum. Uh, well, when I say recently, I mean, what, 2008, I think I got my first Spectrum radio and I jumped oh, right is it in. really? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was 2007, 2007 or eight. It was in that time frame. Um, and I jumped right in to a DX8 that I got used. And that's how I got into Spectrum. Actually, I take that back. I got into Spectrum with the cars, actually. Um, so I was okay. racing cars with Spectrum equipment before I actually jumped into the air side. But yeah, my first uh, Spectrum air radio was the DXA, the same one you have, which I still have. I'll, I'll actually, yeah. it still flies uh, fine. Um, and the reason I stick with it is because I'm accustomed to how the programming works in the transmitters. Um, even the IX-12, which is you know the, the newest one, the the features and the, and everything is where I expect it to be in the, in the, <laughs> in the menus. Menu. You know what I'm, t you know what I'm saying? But, but it has so much more. <laughs> well, yeah, the IX-12 does, but <clears throat> I think that's why I've stuck with Spectrum and haven't really tried anything open source or cheaper. Um, just because I like the way it works and I, it, my mind is, that's how my brain is used to looking at a transmitter menu. Now I, it's everything is where I expect it to be. Uh, not that I'm saying that the Futabas and the, what other, what else is there? I guess the open source stuff, not that they're not good. I'm sure they're great. It's just, that's why I've stuck with Spectrum. Yeah. But we have tried the cheaper stuff. Uh, we, in fact, you and I gave away a Fly Sky. Gosh, it just escaped I was going to say F FS FS6B or FS6I, I think yeah. it was. A uh, little six channel uh, spread spectrum type radio, yeah. 2.4. And it worked great. It really it did. did. For uh, the price, especially. Especially for the price. It was very yeah. inexpensive. Um, it's not an, what I would, I don't think it's what I would consider an open source because it had fixed programming. Correct. Um, but it worked great. But what I didn't like about it is the, the programming was wonky, in my opinion, because <laughs> I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. And the transmitter did, let's be honest, it, it felt, felt kind of cheap and toyish yeah. Yeah, in my hands. So, to me. Um, but to somebody who's just getting started, who maybe not accustomed to the stuff that we're you know used to, it would be fine. There's nothing, or on absolutely a nothing. Yeah, exactly, nothing absolutely. wrong with it. And Dave and I are both really kind of intrigued about the whole uh, open source or open TX. I think is yeah, what the it is. European stuff. Yeah, yeah. Looks, so looks interesting. Mm -hmm. Yep. What about you, Dave? I kind of uh, I just went from Futaba to JR to Spectrum. 
Um, I'm stuck with Spectrum at this point just because I have so much invested in 40 receivers. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not financially viable for me to start over with one right. of the newer uh, transmitters. Yeah. Uh, I did, however, do that in the cars. Uh, yeah. I was looking for a, a newer, well, I was using some boats, and I didn't want to use my good Spectrum transmitter in a boat that's going to get wet. Um, and I needed seven channels. Um, I had a five-channel Spectrum car thing, and it worked fine. Mm-hmm. But I needed a few more channels, and I just wasn't real crazy about taking that expensive transmitter to the lake. Yeah. Uh, so I looked <laughs> around, and I found one of the off-brand ones. It wasn't FlySky, but it was another one very similar to the FlySky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I bought that transmitter, seven-channel transmitter that had built-in gyros in the receivers. Wow. Uh, and two receivers for less money that I could have bought a five-channel Spectrum receiver. Yeah. Just mm. the receiver. Mm-hmm. I bought yeah. an entire new system. In fact, right. I liked it so much, I bought two of them. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that probably works perfect. And they work beautifully. I've not had a problem. They've got cruise control in them, which is really nice for the crawlers. That's I'll have to explain that one to you later. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's nice, nice transmitters, and the receivers are like $7 a pop. So it's, and, it, and they fail proof, yeah. no problems. Now, I think I, I might be mistaken. I mean, you touched on, you know, the, the reinvestment it would take to, to switch brands at this point. Um, the fact that, you know, 40 receivers and I'm, I don't know where mine's at, but it's probably 30 at least. And I know you've got at least that many. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some of this open source stuff, I think is, is compatible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think like you could use your spectrum yeah. receivers, I think. So you could, maybe they have it modules. wouldn't be as much of a, of a, a reinvestment. But like I said, for me, learning something new is the, is the challenge for me and, and I like my DX9. Yeah. Well, and see, I'm to the point where I don't I don't need to find something different because what I have works. Yeah. I mean, like I I one day might be kind of cool to kind of see what all this other stuff is about, but yeah. I don't have that time or interest at this point. Um No, I get it. But for what I've heard about like the different brands, I've never really heard anything bad about any of the mainstream ones that you hear about. Right. Me either. So yeah. I mean, I don't see a reason yeah. now, like, to stay away from it. I've heard bad about Orange. Yeah, but that's receipt. Well, I guess that's they true. They the did make transmitter. Yeah. But um, that was a knockoff of but that was a Yeah, that was a copy. That I mean, was that not was like their own. Copy, <laughs> <if you laughs> it was a copy of a copy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was orange. I mean, Spectrum's color is orange. Anyway. Oh, my. I never got that. Are you serious? Is that? Wow. You're both like shaking your head at me like I'm an idiot. And I get <laughs> no, that look. No, you're I get not that look idiot. a lot, but I, okay, I never realized that. Yeah. So, I mean, and their transmitter, you know, the, the orange transmitter is actually the translucent orange plastic. I mean, it's, it's blatant that it's, you know. Huh. Uh, okay. But anyway. Um, Weird. Chad, I appreciate the question. And if you decide to go um, open source, uh, let us know. Like, you know, send us an email, get on the Discord server, contact us in any number of the ways that you can. Use the way you did. Yeah. And and let us know if you decide to do that and what that's like. Because I'm interested in in kind of understanding more so that we can help other folks that maybe have questions about it later. Yeah. So, Dave, you said you switched from blank to JR to Spectrum. Futaba, was it? Futaba to JR to Spectrum. So what made you switch between those? Like, was that all with airplane stuff? Or? Yeah, that was all airplane side. Uh, I actually started with cars with high tech. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You remember those gold high techs? Yes. Yeah. Well, they what, sometimes worked. They, yeah. What high brought, tech has come a long way. What brought on really the, the change, though? Um, the Futaba to JR switch was due to me working in the hobby shop and just seeing the nice quality of the JR radios coming in. Um, yeah. And then they came in with that real low-priced uh, 622 mm-hmm. uh, programmable radio, and that was the first reasonably priced for a programmable radio. Yep. So I made the jump. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, unfortunately, that one had a glitch. Mm. I kept losing airplanes with it. So um, then I went on to the 642, and then finally I broke down and spent the big bucks on the 8103. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love the 8103. In fact, I flew the 8103 three weeks ago. Yeah, I still have mine too. Well, what, what took you to Spectrum then? <laughs> took like me to what? Spectrum was the 2.4. And the fact okay. that the programming on D- JR and Spectrum were very similar. It wasn't much of a learning curve to switch from the JR FM stuff to the 2.4 yep. 
And that's what kind of... Exactly. The same. Because Spectrum came onto the scene first with the whole spread spectrum technology, the 2.4 gigahertz. I didn't realize that. Um, Yeah, they preceded... Well, all the other brands, um, you know, and then shortly thereafter, Futaba I joined. Futaba is right there behind them. Yeah. Um, and that's really what prompted me to jump into it, too, was that whole spread spectrum. And I had been using it in cars already with fantastic results, like See, fantastic results. <laughs> I was I was the opposite. It's weird. I was the opposite when I was doing cars because I wasn't racing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to win money. I wasn't doing anything. It was just, you know, racing cars you around win the track money racing here. cars. After I don't you think, spend a yeah, lot. Yeah, I don't think I ever won. Well, <laughs> I wasn't competitive. Let's put it that way. It was more fun just with my neighbor racing yeah, yeah. stuff around here. Mm-hmm. I didn't care what radio I used. I wanted cheap. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even know what I had for cars here. And that was like, I always went as cheap as I could on that kind of stuff. But when it comes to airplanes that can fall out of the sky. And potentially hurt somebody. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would prefer to have something that's got a history to it that I know I can trust. Yeah. And that's kind of why, and I never thought of anything different just based on timing, based on what I bought. And it was just kind of one of those, this is what I fly well, with yeah, because when, this is what came with it. When you, when you got into the hobby, spread spectrum was, was the standard. Yeah. It was, could, like, yeah, it was like the no, new standard. Yeah. yeah. So FM was not even, there wasn't thing. really anything else to choose from. I mean, yeah, you could choose Futaba, you know, Airtronics, JR, whatever, but Spectrum was it. I don't you even know if they backwards. had the different uh, uh, different transmitters at the hobby shop at that time. Yeah, we didn't carry Futabas. Uh, we Futaba only, really fell out of favor in this area for, for I don't know why. I mean, I don't good know quality either. stuff. Mm-hmm. It just fell out of favor. Yeah. For yeah has anything to do with Probably the because proximity to Horizon? Yeah, yeah, right. That's what I think too. But I can see that. Um, but yeah, so Chad, thanks for the question. Hopefully that uh, clouds the subject further <laughs> to make the difficult or make the decision even more difficult for you, but let us know what you decide to do because yeah. I would really be interested in hearing someone's hands-on experience with the open source stuff. Seems like seems like that's kind of the next thing. Me too. Are we ready? Yeah. We are taking a long time on these. Like I thought this was going to be a short episode. Well, we've got, I mean, I know we've only got a few more questions to go through, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's see how this goes. All so... Right. Next, Michael sent us an email. He says, hey, guys, I'm a Nitro guy. but oh, my- I like him already. <laughs> How did I know? <laughs> How did I know? I'm going to start over. Sorry. Uh, Michael says, hey, guys, I'm a Nitro guy, but my current point in time, I'm limited on space and time to fly. I have four kids under seven, and I'm trying to have somewhat of a hobby at the same time. Kudos. Ouch. Yeah. Good Good on you. I can't even fathom. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to give you a little background, I have been flying on and off since I was a kid. I have a couple nitro planes that I fly, a Contender and a Cavalier, both oh, nitro. Yeah. Between the two of us, we have one of each of those. I know. It's awesome. I have a Contender as well. Yeah, that's, well, that's right. There's yeah three of them right here. Nice. Cavalier is a lot better. Anyway, um, I'm... <laughs> I'm getting looks again. I'm currently building an Amco Aeromaster 2, mm-hmm. and I'm planning on making that nitro as well. Now, I don't know what that is. So Amco is a kit manufacturer from the 70s and 80s, and Aeromaster 2 is a biplane. It's a biplane kit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's okay. <laughs> nitro biplane. Boy, it's exciting. Um, Two wins right there. <laughs> I mean... I so love this guy. He says, the place that I'm hoping I can fly is a little tight for space to take off and land. And though I feel confident in my flying, I don't think I would consistently be able to land with my contender Cavalier. I could always go somewhere else, but it would be too easy just to walk across the street uh, and fly in this place. I'm considering... Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. I'm considering dipping into the realm of electric to make it a little quicker to be able to go fly for a little bit and come back without all the extra work that nitro can take. Mm -hmm. I've listened to all of your episodes, but have gone back and listened to your electric episode to try and figure out what all I need. Mm -hmm. I know nothing about electric and I'm trying to figure out what size plane I would want, but also what brand of motor ESC and lipos to buy. I have a Spectrum DX8 transmitter, so I was wondering how much nicer it would be to get uh, to get a Spectrum ESC and LiPos for the smart technology. It seems like it is going to take a chunk of money to go electric for the first time. Yeah. I've heard your horror stories about LiPo batteries, uh, and I'm a little paranoid <laughs> of wanting something good yeah. to make sure I can take care of them correctly. <clears throat> also, if you have any recommendations of a sporty airplane that is smaller than a contender that would be good to go out 
uh, or to go in and out of tighter spaces. I've never had a plane swallowed in my contender, so any advice you would give would be helpful. Thanks, Michael. Well, Michael, I don't hold it against you that you want to go electric because I totally get the convenience of it. Totally. Especially, there I go again with the totally. <laughs> um, the convenience of it and, you know, being able to, to charge something in the garage and just take it across the street and fly it. I mean, that's that's pretty appealing. Electric is great for that. It's absolutely. Just to have it ready, plug a battery in and go. Yeah. Um, and I understand, like, the ease of being able to fly in smaller spots, smaller yep. places. Yep. Um, and really, there's a lot of options, I think, for him based on what his goal is. I'd highly like to recommend, like, one of the Tundra-like airplanes. Yes, I was just going to say that. Something big-wheeled, high-wing, bush plane, and they're not boring. They no. can be yeah. quite sporty. Yeah. Dave's is, I was gonna Dave say, what, can fly his very sporty. What do you have and where is it from? Uh, I have a uh, Grand Tundra from uh, Hobby King. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a good flyer. They also make a much smaller version that's a lot more economical, mm-hmm. uses the smaller batteries, and can still fly from those wild areas. Uh, the performance is very, very nice. Yeah. Uh, I tell you, one of my favorite things to do is inverted flat spins. Man, <laughs> that thing spins like a Frisbee if I get it going. Yeah. Nice. I, I can vouch for it, Dave, that it does fly. It does fly well. I've watched you fly it many times, and it would be... The perfect. And you can fly it pretty much anywhere because you can yeah. yank it off the ground in six foot yeah. and it can land in 20. Yeah. Now, depending, he says he's got a DX8. He doesn't say which generation, if it's a generation one or two. Mm-hmm. I know the generation one is not compatible with the smart stuff from Spectrum, but the generation two might be, but I'm not sure. So you'll want to you'll you get on the Spectrum yeah. website and, and double check that. But you don't that even need out. to have the smart no, stuff. It's nice. It's well, convenient and nice, but... But if, I think... If he's wanting to get into the smart stuff, he might also just be talking about batteries. And safety. Which I is like, the, yeah, the safe and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So if that's kind of what you're wanting to get into and you want something that will, which if you want something that will help you fly, or maybe if he's trying to get his kids into it, then I, what is it? The uh, Hobby Zone Aero Scout. Hmm. Have you yeah. seen those before? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those fly really good. They're, they have the safe built in. They have the AS3X. But what I will say <clears throat> is that if he's, if he's accustomed to flying a contender or a lesser quality Cavalier, um, <laughs> he's probably going to get bored with an Aero Scout. Well, maybe. But and getting like I said, the it kids depends. into it, absolutely It depends true. on the goal. Yeah, 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 for sure. If you want something that's smaller and electric too, by the way, any of the UMX planes would be awesome. Yeah. Our Ultrixes, I love them. Oh, and you, you, yeah, Michael, you could totally fly... The Ultrix. Like Ron and I each have the small one and he just recently figured, just fig- figured out the bigger one. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah. But the big and one is awesome. What a what a blast these things are. And you can fly these things in your yard. Absolutely. Like from your yard, I should say. Maybe not in your yard, but like you could take off like in your yard, go fly over the pasture and then bring it back and hover it back into your yard and for a two foot length. I mean, it, yeah, they're super, super, super fun to fly and easy to fly really. Especially so, with the different levels of safe, anyway. When you can turn it off yeah. Yeah, and figure out how to actually do that, yeah, it makes right. a huge difference. Um, and by the way, those are all the planes that we just talked about are all smaller than your contender. Well, the, t- well, the, the contender, well, the, yeah. Well, the my, big, my grand tundra is bigger than the, the, the big tundra, yeah, but the small tundra is smaller. Small tundra is much smaller, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it, fly, it probably flies almost as good as oh, the big yeah, one. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, so... And they are very similar to the, which one of the E-Flights got? What's the name of their bush plane? Oh, the Timber. Timber. Oh. Yeah, yeah. and they got about 15 different versions of that. Yeah. Turbo Timber, Timber, yeah. UMX Timber, Night right. Timber. Timber yeah. X. Timber X. Yeah. yeah, they've got quite a few versions of that. Turbo but, Timber. But the Grand Tundra is, flies very similar. Yeah, they're all yeah. going to fly very similar. Yeah. They're probably all about the same price maybe. I don't you know. You were going to say something. That was a while ago. I, I don't remember what I was going to say Sorry. now. It's okay. No big deal. Um so that's the airplane that kind of we would say, which oddly enough, I think everything we suggested was foam. Yeah. That's weird. Like yeah. I just caught that. I know. There's not a lot. But but with foam uh, comes inexpensive. I mean, to, to set yeah. up a balsa plane of the same caliber and, and flight qualities and electric, it's, let's be honest, it's going to be a fair amount more. Yeah. Because it's just more expensive to pay somebody to assemble a you know, a balsa airframe than it is to mold a piece of foam in a machine. Well, that's true. Yeah. And these are all come as package deals, so you don't have to go farm out a motor exactly. and a speed control and figure out what prop to use. It's all a package deal, all, so it takes yep. all the guesswork out of it. Which yep. is a good way if you're just getting into electric to have something 
all done. And so you can figure it out. Plane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Since that's the airplanes, now now let's talk about what is it going to take to get into the electric side of the hobby. Right. Like, what do you need mm-hmm. that you don't need with nitro? Yep. You want to take it? Oh, uh, sure. So you're going to need a, a LiPo-compatible charger if you don't already have one. Mm-hmm. Um, preferably one that uh, has... Um, a balancer built in, which I, I'm not even sure you can buy a charger without that these days. You can. Oh, can you? Okay. Uh, it's important to keep the cells balanced as much as possible. And, um, most chargers will do that automatically without any input from you. So look for, for well, for hold that. on there. I'm yes. Most chargers will, as long as you're in the right settings. Right. So you have to balance charge. There well, are different settings, like on one of my chargers where you can just charge it, balance, charge it, um, I think that might be the only two. So you can just charge them to where it's not going to go and balance each oh, okay. leak. Yeah, mine okay. defaults to balance, and I have to turn balance off yeah, if I just too. want to zap it to go. Yeah, yeah, me too. And it does take a little bit longer to balance charge as opposed to just charging them. But Well, it's like topping off the tank perfectly. Right. And you want to make sure it's done correctly yeah. because that way your power is being pulled out the same from each cell. Right. So look for a charger that has that capability. That'll take better care of your batteries, which relates to safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and- <laughs> You're not going to need a super high-end charger no, either. Just no, a no, basic no. one's going to get sure. the job done. Yeah, exactly. And just a note about batteries. We, I think we we may over dramatize the you know the the volatility. Like I haven't seen a lipo go off until ever until your experience. That was my first experience. And we've been doing lipos a long time now. Long time. So and we generally speaking we know how to take care of our batteries and we have chargers that that help us out in that regard so i mean the likelihood if you're using all the right equipment the likelihood of a of a battery going off is really really small but it is there it is there but i mean you have the same you know i mean i don't know what the odds are but you know you got a gallon of nitro fuel sitting in your garage i mean if your garage catches on fire there you go you've got an oxidizer and all this other stuff that yeah. goes so i mean there's risks inherent to the hobby. It shouldn't be enough to scare you away from it. That's kind of what I was trying to get at. Like Sorry. don't don't let the don't let the fact that the lipos can do that scare you off because a nitro motor or a gas motor that's not restrained properly, I mean look at the damage that can do to somebody's hand. I yeah. mean there there are risks and we accept them as part of the hobby. So get yourself a lipo bag. Yeah. Lipo bag, that lipo. Was, yep. Yeah. That was going to be my next recommendation was to get a box or a bag that's designed to contain that fire should And we've happen. talked about that before. It was a tool of a week, I don't know, three, yeah. four, five, six weeks ago, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Time yeah. goes together at it this does. point. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think the one I bought for storing my batteries in now, it's like 13 bucks yeah. on Amazon. There's, so there's really, no reason not yeah, to. They're really not very expensive. Um, and it's cheap insurance, especially yeah. if you store them in your house. Like I still store my batteries in the fridge. Yep, me too. Um, we talked about that before. But they are in a bag. Yeah. I actually keep them in my LiPo bag. I do now. In the fridge. Yeah. So um, anyway, so you're going to need a charger and obviously you're going to need some batteries. They don't have to be the smart, you know, stuff. You can. They don't can, have to be the expensive you stuff. You can get away with, yeah, you can absolutely get away with Amazon batteries. Ron and I are both flying Amazon batteries with great luck. Yeah. The higher the C rating the better performing you're going to get. So you can buy some really cheap batteries out there, but they're like 10C. Right. You don't want those. Yeah. You well, want something much higher C. And I'm going to be honest too, like on the Amazon batteries, I will always double the C rating on what it suggests because I don't necessarily trust they are being honest on what oh, their on C, the C ratings, ratings. Yeah. actually is. Yeah. So if I'm looking for a battery that needs 50C, I'll try to shop on Amazon for one, for 100C. It's 100C. Yeah, and what you. that means is it means the how many times the capacity you can pull the power out of that. So if it's a 2.2 or a 2200 milliamp hour battery um, and you're running on a, let's, for ease of, of numbers, you're running to where you need to pull 10 amps out of it. Hold on. How did I, I just mess that one up? <laughs> Scratch everything I just said. So let's say you have a we're going to really go easy on this. A one amp hour battery. <laughs> so, you know, a 1000 mAh battery and you're pulling a 10 amp uh, load out of it, then you would need one that's rated for 10C. But you're going to want to have enough overhead just to make sure that you have some safety built in. So if it says, you know, whatever plane you buy, if it says you need a, a 10C battery for that, I would buy a 20. 
that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Like you said, yep. the 50 to 100. And they get the higher C rating by reducing the internal resistance, which is like opening the valve, right? So yeah. you actually get a little bit more power also. Quicker. More performance. Yeah. The higher C is going to give you a more sporty feel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's not going to yeah. be so doggy. I mean, I don't and know they, how to. They, they don't seem to be any less durable that I found no. in lower C ratings. So why yeah. not spend a little extra money to get a little extra performance? I use a 20 C in my flight box, but I don't fly anything with a 20 <laughs> right. C battery. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I get it. So there's I your batteries. I that made sense. Yeah. Um, there's one cell, two cell, three cell batteries. I mean, like I said, when you look at the airplane that you're wanting to get, and when you've made that decision, they will tell you what battery it takes. And most of the time, they'll have links to the battery they recommend. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to buy that brand. Just make sure your connector is right. That's the other thing. You're going to have different connectors. Um, XT60, Dean's, EC3, EC5. There's a bunch of different ones. IC3 now from Spectrum. IC, yeah. Um, yeah. My newest ones have that. Um and there you go. When you charge, charge at 1C for most, you know, most batteries will take 1C charge. So you charge at one capacity mm -hmm. and you just kind of go from there. So a 5,000 milliamp pack, you charge at 5, five amps. Five amps, yeah. yeah. And just a quick note that that reminds me, um, on the charger, preferably an AC-DC charger for convenience Oh, sake. yeah. I forgot about that. Um, but as I found out just recently, my charger, I have a dual port so it can charge two batteries at once. Mm -hmm. In AC mode, my charger divides the output in half. I can program it. Like so it's I a can, 10 amp charger that only puts out five amp if you're doing... Well, that's done in wattage on my charger, but yeah, so it'll take a hundred watt AC input and divide it in half and send 50 per channel, unless I tell it to go 101 channel, which then it forgets the, other the other channel one. useless. Yeah. But, um, so that's Something to note, like if you're going to get higher capacity, you know, the big 5,000 milliamp pack, uh, packs, uh, three cell packs, they, you know, they can, they can take quite a bit of wattage, you know, hundred watts easily to charge one of those. So if you have an AC-DC charger that limits the wattage like mine does, might be something you want to make a note of and use it on a DC only. Because DC, mine doesn't do that. It has 200 watts and I can divide, I can use 200 watts on both channels. Yeah, and the because, power supplies are so cheap on Amazon anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's honestly because you're charging DC. So it's not yeah. converting anything right. over where it has to take the AC and convert it to DC. Yeah, so. exactly. And then if you go, because he said something about the, the smart stuff, if you go with like the Gen 2 smart batteries, there's no balance lead, there's nothing. You don't even start them. You just plug the battery in and then the charger takes care of everything. Like, smart, I'm actually a the fan smart of the charger. smart charger. Right. Yeah, sorry. You have yeah, to have the Gen have 2 smart charger, yep. Gen 2 batteries. They have to actually talk to each other and that kind of stuff. But I'm actually kind of a fan of those if it wasn't for the price of the batteries. Yeah. If, like, if I was in uh, in his shoes, I would I would uh, probably look at jumping in that, that, that pool. Yeah. Because of the, yeah, the convenience and the, and the, Technology, you know, it's the ease of use. You, like you said, you plug it Absolutely in, is, and the yeah. charger just does everything. There's you don't no even have figuring to. it out. Yeah, and then that one also, like the plug-in things that we use, the Gen Two chargers have the built-in storage charge after a certain amount of time, which you change that on the charger, and then it programs it to the battery. Hmm. That's pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Are we ready to move on to the next one? So yeah, hopefully that uh, hopefully that helped. Um, if you have any more questions, let us know, Michael. Okay. Right on. Ready? Yes. Right. On. Solid. Dude. <laughs> William. William's up next, and he sent us a note. Uh, he said, hi, Ron and Tom. Will here from Australia. Love your podcast. Well, good day, mate. <laughs> How did I know you were going to do that? Because <laughs> you can't not. Uh, he says, Please, no shrimp on the Barbie. I can't deal with it. <laughs> he said, I listen to it religiously and love the tips. I have a question slash suggestion for a topic. Warbirds. Mm -hmm. This is one I'm not going to talk much on. Um, we all want one when we're starting out, but quickly find out these may look great in the air, but require a lot of skill. Not suited for a beginner. I made the mistake and trained myself on a foamy warbird, uh, and after uh, a steep learning curve, I'm proficient enough to fly them, but as electrics bore me, oh. Yes. And I've taken up Nitro Advanced Trainers, the Aeroflight Hustler, J boy. Piper J3 Cub, blah, blah, blah. What sort of airframe would you suggest as a good introduction in the Nitro Balsa scale warbirds uh, for someone intermediate of skill? Kind regards, love the show, William. William, I'm just going to start by saying the J3 Cub could be considered a warbird. Yes, it can. I mean, really. They flew them around in Vietnam as observation planes. No, no, no. That's World War II. Oh, World War II. That's right. 
Yeah, they were the L fours. L fours, yeah, yeah. And yeah, actually, the, the first ones delivered to the Army Air Corps uh, were actually production civilian J threes in yellow paint uh, that they whitewashed real quick with green paint and sent them out into the field. And I think they tried them out in Georgia, if I remember right. Hmm. Uh, hmm. But they were off the factory civilian J threes. So if you don't want to start with the J three, um, Hangar Nine. Makes a they make a plethora of P fifty ones, but they make one. <laughs> yeah, I think they still make the one that has the safe built in. I don't know. Um, yeah, they got a P forty seven too. It's uh, the sport. Yeah, scale stuff. Um, those actually fly pretty good. I mean, they're they're fairly easy. Now they are semi scale, right? They kind of look like a P forty seven, and they kind of look like a P fifty one, and so on. So if you want a you know a high fidelity to scale. Warbird, they're just not going to fly like a trainer. No, you got all that extra weight yep. and all the complexity goes along with it. Yeah, even with flaps and and all the other devices, they still they you cannot make them fly like a trainer. But you know they, these options from Hangar Nine are not a not a bad option. And there's well, other he's, ones. He's not too. saying make them fly like a trainer. Intermediate. No, no, no. I know intermediate I know. skill. There's right. a lot of <clears throat> sports scale warbirds out there that. Don't fly like a heavy metal warbird, right. but they're more of a sport, uh, advanced trainer type situation. My P of- my P forty is a perfect example of that. The Hangar Nine, the fifty size P forty, which they don't make in, I mean, anymore, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, there are other airplanes just like what you're talking about. They're a sport scale, and in the air, it looks it looks really convincing, and it it does actually fly pretty good. Oh yeah. Um, and do you remember a few years back they had a trainer P fifty one? Remember that thing? Yeah, the little gas one? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I'm that's talking the one. about. That's one. Reggie the, has one of those. It had little add-on uh, oh, clear no. things on the front of the wings. This is before the gas one. This yeah, is yeah. for had literally the, oh. your first gas trainer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember that. Glow yeah. trainer. Was that? Yeah, they had an evolution on them. And, yeah. yeah. But they had these clear- Was that Meg? No, Meg is the gas one like mine. What am I thinking of then? Uh, I don't know what that what, one was what called. What did they call those things? But I remember PTS, flying, a perfect trainer system. Yeah. Was, I think a PTS P51, I think is the what it was The gear was really right, right forward, so it was almost impossible to knock it over. Yep, yep. So Fixed gear, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, it actually yeah. had these drag things too to keep you from going too fast. Yeah, I didn't understand yeah, well, that. I never used any of those. But but, but yeah, it had these, these clear molded plastic... <sighs> things that you actually taped onto the leading edge of the wing to make essentially to make the cord longer and um, work kind at of the like tip. a slat. Yeah. And they, they helped prevent stalls and things like that. And they actually flew. Okay. They were ugly as sin, I thought, because then but, they, but they did look like a Mustang from yeah. 50 feet out. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways to go about warbirds. Um, but if you really, really got to have a warbird, um, do your research and, you know, try to find one of those kind of semi-scale, and they fly like a pattern, like kind of like a pattern plane. I go with say. the T-28s. Oh, there you go. Those That's all a really good, good option, yeah. yeah. And those are good-looking airplanes, too, I think. Yeah. And you can get them in foam. He wanted away from foam. He wanted nitro, and he wanted balsa. Well, there you go. You can get the, who makes a balsa T-28 other than Pika or wow. Dave Platt? I can't think you of any scratch ones right one. off. There you go. Build, build your own. Building. But yeah. Just know that warbirds are going to be a little more difficult to fly than a than a standard sport type plane. But I he, he says he's already flown foam warbirds and he 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 admitted a steep learning curve, but he can fly them proficiently now. He can probably fly a, a sport. sport scales. Yeah, yeah. So don't be afraid of it. And the looks are just jump be right fine. in, John. You'll be fine. They're not super detailed. You're not going to win the nats with them, but yeah, yeah. But if you want an airplane that looks like an airplane, those aren't a bad way to go. Okay. Moving go. on. Like our T-34s. Yeah. Those actually fly really good. That you can't get anymore. You got, There's a I lot know. of that. There's a pattern, right? Yeah. They make great airplanes for a while, and then they Your stop SOL. producing them and jump onto some other great airplane, making us buy new ones all the time. Well, that's, that's okay. their strategy, isn't it? Well, it must be because- <laughs> It's working. We've got a lot. <laughs> okay. So next up, Ross emailed us and he says, hey, gents, just gents. I like that. That's fun. Just discovered your podcast and heard you mention that you're using the Bad Air plugins. I also think they're a great idea, but I've had a crazy, bi- or a crazy busy year with work, and this has been the first week I've had a chance to fly. Hmm. Yeah. I know what that's like. Uh-huh. I just dusted off a couple of models and started to prep my packs and discovered that the Bad Air plugins have trashed several packs. That's not good. I had them fitted to the uh, to five 6S 1550 milliamp hour nanotech packs. 
two of those are barely registering two volts across the entire pack, and Ouch. the best two packs were at 3 to 3.3 volts per cell. My power lab registered them at 0% and 2% remaining power and has been able to restore them uh, to storage charge. But I doubt they'll be any good for my helis anymore. My two S2200 milliamp hour packs have, fair, or have fared better. Sorry. Uh, I only had bad air modules on two of those after hitting a software bug last year, and those are at 3.7 to 3.75 volts per cell compared to 3.75 to 3.85 volts uh, for the packs without the bad air. So those look okay, but the 6S1s are trashed. Bad air just trashed $190 worth of packs, and I'm not happy. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy either. And that, so when we first started, or when we first started talking about those, um, that was one of the questions I had, like whether or not it has like a low voltage cutoff to where it stops checking, Discharging to where it stops doing whatever. whatever it does, to where it stops using power if it gets to a certain point. Apparently it does not. Yeah. I think these are set up so you sh- should charge them at least once a month regardless. Oh, a month? Yeah. Oh, I definitely won't be doing that. I mean, I could see charging them every several months for ones that I don't use very often. But, I mean, like I don't need every pack I have every month you're so looking at me i, I don't have talk. any that, of those things because i don't oh have you enough. don't have any of them no why did i think you had something i have none i don't have enough batteries to warrant like i can keep track of the batteries i have because i have so few of them well okay you know i just like, let them set for extended extended periods of time it looks like at least a year in this case they're always going to have a little bit of draw on them well, even without a bad air plug-in, they're going to eat themselves over time. Yeah, but you should be able to store them for a year without issues. Yeah. I mean, like, I understand, like, that was my concern, was how much draw those plug-ins use. Well, according according to his uh, his two cells, the 2200s, in, in the year, I'm assuming those have been sitting um, about the same amount of time. They've only used, it looks like, about a tenth of a volt, not even. Mm-hmm per, you know, as opposed to not having the battery. So that's not like a lot. No, it's not. But the six ones, yeah, that's unacceptable. Yeah, I agree. So my warning to everybody then, based on what he said, um, keep an eye on them. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to throw a little charge on them every now and then. Yeah. Like, yeah, we'll see. Well, I will check what I'm, I, I guess what I'm getting at is like, Lipos eat themselves, like all batteries, eat themselves over time. They they self-discharge, no matter what the chemistry, they all do to some degree. Yes. So bad air plug-in or no, they're going to require some voltage eventually. A year, two years, whatever the time is. So it would make sense to me, um, like for the bad air plug-in, like you said, for it to at least shut itself off or stop its sampling or whatever it does when it reaches a certain voltage to at least give you maybe a little more time to, right. to put a charge in it or whatever. That seems like a foul on that. Um, and maybe that's something they can update in future updates with stuff. I don't know, like how all that works on that end. Um, but without the over-discharge that he had, I still love him. Yeah. Like until I lose a bunch of packs to him, I would like to keep using them and see how they work. Well, Ross, thanks for thanks for making us aware of that. Very true. Next. Next. Last one. Last one. So Slade writes in and he said, I have a couple questions. He said, my first question is, how do you get two engines to create the same amount of thrust? Hmm. And I will read the second in, or the second question now. Uh, and my second question is, do you have a tip on starting a gasoline-powered engine? Uh, I have a DLE 30. There you go, gentlemen. That's <laughs> you again. I like how Ron is just handing this off to us, Dave. Like, I'm handing it off to the gas guys. You guys got gas. Well, so I'll hit the first one. Uh, how do you get two engines to create the same amount of thrust? Well, first you have to start with two identical engines, right? So preferably they would be two OS46s or two DLE30s or two something. Two of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only the only way to do it with any kind of... Um, in uh, fidelity is to use a tachometer. I mean, right. if a, if a propeller is turning thirteen thousand RPM, 
it doesn't matter how much power the engine is producing. 13,000 RPM on that particular propeller is going to produce only so much amount of thrust. And yeah. if you have two engines producing that RPM with those props, they're making the same amount of power. Would you Are agree? Very close. So you need a tachometer. Close enough. Yeah. Yeah. You need a tachometer. And you can actually hear. Uh, when when engines are not in tune, if they're not turning the same RPM, it's just like listening to an out-of-tune piano. I mean, you can hear that kind of oscillating wah-wah sound. It's very <laughs> pronounced, especially when you're turning a, you know, a, a larger propeller. Yeah. When they're synced up, it'll, it'll be a harmonic yeah. sound. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but a tachometer is your best friend. That's how, that's how I do it. That's how I think a lot of folks it's do it. It's the only time I use a tachometer. Well, there you go. So- a tachometer is the tool of choice. Uh, and you, you just tune the stronger engine to the performance of the weaker engine. Exactly. Yep. You maximize so the. So you detune the exactly. one that's more powerful. Yeah. Makes and, sense. And detune, I'm not sure I would use that term. Uh, I would limit the throttle. I don't want to detune because I still want the engine to run right. And detuning it, you know, with so the needles you, or whatever messes with the tune. So me personally, I try to make my strong engine match my weak engine. And I do that with limiting the throttle. Okay. If that makes sense. So you have your throttle on yeah. two I separate. still maximize the tune on both engines, right? I'll, you know, I'll try to get max RPM and then back it off a little bit on the weak one and do the same on the strong one. And then once I've got them both running, you know, really, really well and optimized for whatever the installation is, I'll limit the throttle on the strong engine. I'll do basically the same thing. I might go a click or two on the needle valve, but that's, oh, okay. that's about it. I mean, as long as they transition, the idle's same and they transition the same. Yeah. A click or two, but I won't go any more than a click or two. Then it goes back to just setting the throttle differently. There you go. And so, obviously, then separate channels for your throttles. Yeah. And yeah. controlling those separately. Yep. Gotcha. The wonder of the computer <laughs> well, radio. Well, and you don't have no to do doubt. it that way. You can do it mechanically. It's just a much longer process. Oh, I guess you could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you, you can that's still. That's the way we did it back in the day. Yeah, you can still Y harness two servos or run two push rods from one servo if you're really old school. You can still do it that way. You just, you know, it's just a mechanical adjustment on the clevis at the throttle end. But how does that work then? Well, I guess it doesn't matter. That would be more difficult. You could do it. But I would think getting idle to be the same and high end to be the same would be tricky. Can it's be. so much better to do it electronically. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And then the last thing, starting. And two, or no, what was it? Starting a DLA 30. Yeah. What's, starting, what's your starting What is your procedure? starting process? Uh, my starting process that works most engines most of the time um, is I will take and make sure to no doubt whatsoever that the ignition is off. Mm -hmm. Have it restrained. <laughs> and make sure that cannot go anywhere. Yes. Mm -hmm. Give that propeller a tug at yourself to make sure it doesn't yeah, go you anywhere. Start it, before you start it. We haven't said start it yet. So True. ignition is off. Yeah. Turn the choke on. Mm -hmm. Open the throttle wide open. Mm -hmm. I also at this time will take and set the idle trim all the way up. So full idle trim. Mm -hmm. Full throttle. And if I can access it, I will stick my thumb over the carburetor just to help. I can judge. Maybe more suction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, if not, close on the choke will work. And then you flip it through until you get gasoline at the carburetor, uh, which with your thumb over the carburetor, I'll pull my thumb away if my thumb's wet. I have gasoline at the carburetor. Mm -hmm. If I can't do that, you kind of listen for it. You can hear kind of a squishy noise. Mm -hmm. Squishy. That's weird, but I know what he means. Yeah. <laughs> um, once you get at that point, turn your ignition on, reduce your throttle all the way to idle, hmm. but you still have high idle trim. Mm -hmm. You flip it with the choke closed until you hear it pop, and it'll pop or gurgle. Sometimes it won't actually even run, but you can kind of just hear a muffled thump. Mm -hmm. When you get that thump, then it's time to take and close the choke or open the choke. Open it. Mm -hmm. um, make sure that you're at idle, high trim. Mm -hmm. And you flip it four or five times and it should kick right over. Mm -hmm. If not, hit it with a starter. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I use the uh, exactly the same process, although I'm kind of the black sheep of the, of the hobby and I, I start them at wide open. Scares me, but wide open with the choke closed, it will like I have never had one take off on me. I have had someone sometimes that I'll take and bump it up a little bit above idle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 
yeah. in the five percent throttle range. Yeah. Now I don't start them at wide open. Okay, I'm just I'm just looking for that initial pop with the choke closed, right? Yeah. So, so with I with the throttle with the throttle yeah, wide open. Choke wide open. Did I say closed? I'm sorry if I did. Closed and open is hard. How about choke on or off? How about choked and not choked? Oh, the same thing. There then. we go. Yes. So yeah, my process, like I said, is exa exactly the same, except I I uh, do my initial start with a throttle wide open and it choked. And then that first pop is, it, it never takes off and runs because the choke is, you know, it's choked. It can't go anywhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. And then, and then yeah, once it pops, throttle to high idle just like yours, open the choke or unchoke it, flip it a few times, and it's usually idling nicely. There you go. That's our process. Like it or leave it. Easy. Yeah. Peasy. Lemon squeezy. What else we got? That is it. Yay. Uh -huh. Don't, Not a bad episode. Why are, you, why are you sounding so excited about well, being finished? I'm just finished? happy that we got through them all in one episode. Huh. Okay. I like I was the letters. I was afraid we weren't going to get them all oh, because okay. of how much it, we took on the first one. Yeah, no, we, we went through the last ones very quick. So okay, good. We are all set. Sweet. And I think I'm finished if yeah. you guys are finished. Just uh, I'll just hit it one more time. If you guys have questions you would like for us to answer on the show, um, hit us up via email or you can ask on the Discord server. We... We surf that daily mm -hmm. um, and any of the other number of ways you can contact us. You can also contact us through the website, which is rcplanelab.com. Good for you. <laughs> Dave, anything? Nope. I'm looking forward to maybe playing with some airplanes this weekend if yeah. I can get away from the craft show. Me yeah, too. Yeah, me too. I think it'll be a good weekend. We're going to Brian's. That's so, I mean, that's the start of the weekend, right? We're doing that Friday. Leaving work early. Yeah. Going to Brian's. So, I mean, like, how can the weekend get worse yeah. after that? I mean, that's just yeah. like the perfect start to I know. the weekend. So, all, all right. right. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Uh, we look forward to the next one. Until next time, I'm Ron. I'm Tom. And I'm Dave. Goodbye. Good night. Fine, Dave. Don't say anything. Yeah, fine, Dave. Don't say goodbye to our get our five listeners. What? Uh, what did I miss? <laughs> you didn't say bye. <laughs> you didn't say bye. bye. There we go. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the RC Plane Lab podcast. For topic suggestions, to ask questions, or to give any feedback, connect with us at rcplanelab.com or email us direct at either ron at rcplanelab.com or tom at rcplanelab.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail at 818-351-9846. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, may your landings be gentle.